Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about curious endings of all kinds of things. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And today, I'm going to talk about, in honor of St. Valentine's Day coming up, I'm going to talk about aphrodisiacs. (laughs) Ooh. As you can imagine, this subject is very interesting and takes some kind of strange turns. So when I talk about aphrodisiacs, um, I'm talking about stuff, as we know, that either increases the sex drive or helps with uh, sexual impotence. And generally throughout history, it seems like the major reason for aphrodisiacs was not just increasing sexual desire, but a lot of it was treating infertility or treating impotence in men or people with penises so so throughout medical history medicine as you may remember from our previous episodes where we talked about old-timey medicines like in the black plague or we talked about um old-timey medicines basically and yeah uh, you you did that one i believe yes and i think i talked a bit about cocaine in that one so that was memorable go go back and see that and emily talked about plague fashions and Mm -hmm. i think we mentioned the humors a little bit in that one probably yeah so anyway uh up from the greek physician hippocrates um before uh, the Common Era, up until about the 18th century, a lot of medical science was surrounded by and concerned with the balancing of the four humors. So the humors are blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. And the influence on the human body and its state, it, it needed to be in a balanced state. So... They were worried about the 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 humors, and they wanted they they really wanted they the best way to be was to be warm, salty, and moist, <laughs> <laughs> like a hot dog. Yes, they wanted you to be a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the foods are going to be surprising to you, I bet. But let's just take like a little bit of a, a, a temporary quiz and say, Emily, uh, you're on a date in the in a 1980s movie, and okay. you're out you're out for dinner with whoever. I don't care who you're out for dinner with. It's a date. It's supposed to be a hot date, and this person wants to get in your pants, and they're going to order for you. What are they going to order? Oysters. Exactly. So that's the first one we're going to talk about. So oysters, because everyone will say this, they'll either say lobster or oysters. Lobster or oysters. So this gets us into uh, Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. Mm -hmm. And so she was born out of the sea. So the theory around all the seafood and seafood-ish things being considered aphrodisiacs is because they are uh, of Aphrodite, of the ocean, and oysters themselves, and this will bring us to our next part, oysters were supposed to be like people with vaginas. They were supposed to be like their 
genitalia. They were supposed to invoke images of if you're eating oysters, it's like cunnilingus. It, you know, it's just, it evokes those images. So that is where they think the oyster issue, the oyster idea came from. It comes from the ocean and it's from the goddess of love. It looks like you're eating a vagina, you're eating, you know, pussy basically. <laughs> so oysters for love, sexual desire supposedly is supposed to uh, get you in the mood, get women in the mood. And lobster, here's another one. Lobster, also of the sea, but it's very expensive. It's supposedly expensive. So uh, some of these were because they're a rarity, they're a luxury, and that's why mm -hmm. lobster is supposed to be like this meal that you're supposed to have on a hot date. So let's get into rare and luxurious. So potatoes. Did you ever think a potato could be an like aphrodisiac? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not really after i eat potatoes i just want to go to sleep i don't want to do anything exactly I don't, like anything so, <laughs> so no and also i think of like there were so many potatoes like how what how why well there were potatoes once they were brought to the new or the the what's called the old world from what's called the new world. Exactly. So they were not common up until a point. Uh, they're not native to Europe. They were considered rare until they were introduced and grown over there. So this is the reason that potatoes are potentially were thought to be an aphrodisiac. They're obviously not anymore. Uh, you. That's why you and I laughed. We're like potatoes, really. <laughs> that's like what you make for dinner on a Tuesday because you don't feel right. like making anything. <laughs> you wrap it up and put it in the microwave. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then here's windy meats. <laughs> so uh, windy meats are actually like peas, beans, chickpeas, asparagus, cabbages. <laughs> they basically make you a good farter. So this goes back to our four humors, right? So mm -hmm. they want you to be full of wind. You want to be active. So this is for people with penises. So this was this was noted. I think it was from Galen, who is a doctor from Long. He want he said that the male member or the penis should needed to be blown up like a windsock from your farts. <laughs> What in the Al Bundy is that? <laughs> right? <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> Windy meets. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. And, okay, so we're into, I talked about, I, I said a little bit about nuts. That was mm -hmm. part of the Windy meats. But also just plain old nuts, like almonds, many types of nuts uh and this is a lot from the victorian era and you can actually the british museum has a really fantastic video on making aphrodisiac balls with almonds but if you're allergic to those you can use other nuts etc and for men or people with penises and testicles this was called going nutting <laughs> Because, as I said before, the resemblance to certain characteristics of genitalia. Mm -hmm. So certain characteristics of genitalia, like carrots, mandrake root, because it looked like 
female genitalia uh, and the curve of the women's thighs up into uh, the vagina, etc. It was all about the appearance. Mm-hmm. And that was why it was a suggestion of aphrodisiacs. And also, I learned that going nutting <laughs> was a term that couples would use when they would go out to the woods to, quote unquote, collect nuts together. They would mm-hmm. go nutting. And it became a euphemism for going out to the woods to have sex, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Yohimbe bark. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. So it is, uh, an, it's supposedly a natural Viagra. And in West Africa, it was traditionally boiled into a tea and then drunk to increase sexual desire. Uh, there's no real evidence right now that it works. However, some of the alkaloids in yohimbine, which is uh, the part of yohimbe bark that supposedly work, has uh, shown to help the central nervous system relax smooth muscles. So potentially, and I'm not saying this happens, potentially this could help men with erectile issues or people with penises with erectile issues due to stress or anxiety. Uh, However, there's no real evidence that this works and you might have to take it in large quantities. However, this was known in uh, West Africa for a long time and it seems to have come over here now and it's one of those uh you know i would say the back of magazines but nobody reads magazines anymore so it's like kind of an internet you see it on an ad when you're you know gazing at whatever on wordpress or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) so horny goat weed do you know what this is i've heard of it but it's it's epimediums I don't know what that is. So epimediums are these cute little herby perennials, and I've planted a ton of them. They look oh. they look really cute around hostas. They um, they have like these heart shaped leaves, and then they have these pretty little f- flowers that come up. And the ones that I have are white, but they come in various different flowers, and they're pretty little shade plants. And a Apparently, one of the names for them is horny goatweed, and they're endemic to Asia and a little bit of the Mediterranean, and it was used in Chinese medicine for a long time to treat sexual dysfunction, and interestingly, it works on animals and lab tests, but not in humans, so by no means take your epimedium plants and grind it into a tea and hope that it makes you horny because it probably doesn't (laughs) that's interesting then that the like animals in lab tests actually have reactions but not humans because that's just very interesting that it's been tested that thoroughly and yet yeah i believe you certainly it's just it's just fascinating how uh toxicology and biochemistry work and that comes up over and over, and, and it's a common theme. Like, it seems to work in animals, but we don't know if it does anything for us, and it's possibly not. So uh, a lot of it might be the placebo effect. Um, mm-hmm. The next one is chocolate. And this has some controversy around it because according to a study in 2006, uh, they evaluated the sexual function of women who reported that they ate chocolate every day and women who did not eat chocolate. 
And the study concluded that once adjusted for age, there was no difference in sexual arousal. But later, there were other studies that said that there was. So it's possible if you eat chocolate every day, uh, it's an aphrodisiac and it'll help you with sexual desire. I don't know. It's worth trying. (laughs) Well, and I wonder about the quality of chocolate, too, because there's eating a Snickers, which is primarily nougat and caramel and peanuts, and then it has chocolate-ish stuff around it. I mean, it's technically chocolate, but it's not very high-quality chocolate. Exactly, and I don't think they made that distinction that I could mm-hmm. tell. Um, they There were quite a few uh, researchers that said that the flavonoids and the precursors for serotonin that you can find in chocolate were more likely to increase... Uh, sexual functioning in people with female genitalia. So it was very interesting and worth further personal investigation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, worst case, you just get to eat some chocolate. So Right, eat but some good chocolate. If you're not allergic, then that's not exactly a bad uh, way to spend your time, especially during this month when on the 15th, <laughs> chocolate goes on a, a steep discount. Oh, good point. Also, so now we'll get into animals. And because I was mostly talking about plants um, earlier, but we're going to talk about animal parts now. And this is just weird. So skink parts. <laughs> like the, like the, the little lizards? Yes. Aww. So various parts of the skink are considered an aphrodisiac. So like the, yeah, the little tiny little lizards, we have them here in North Carolina. Um, the ones that are in this part of North Carolina are the three-line skink, and they have these little bright blue tails, and they just kind of nap on your garage door all day. They're really adorable, um, but apparently there are various parts of them, their skin, their brains, that are considered aphrodisiacs there was no explanation for this whatsoever it just said that they were i don't suggest catching them and eating them to try it (laughs) i mean first off you're going to be absolutely exhausted after trying to catch them those little dickenses are fast oh i know and they used to hide when i worked at the estate sale company they used to hide in the freaking boxes and so like we'd Take it to the. We take it to our storage, and we'd open the boxes, and a skink would come out. <laughs> it like never failed. There was always a skink in there. What were you eating in that box? Like you were in there for a month. What the heck? <laughs> Here's another one: sparrows, and especially sparrow brains. Why the we brains? Yeah. So sparrows. Uh, Considered a symbol of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, uh, the goddess of Uh. love and desire. So sparrows were eaten in hopes that they would have love goddess properties. Victorians ate their brains. Victorians do all kinds of stuff. So, (laughs) yeah, I don't know why you would want to eat a sparrow. They're so tiny. There has to be no meat on them. But there you go. It seems like humans will do anything to to get off, so. (laughs) Including eat tiny little birds. Well, and you do have to think about, like, this is pre-television, this is pre-internet, this is pre, like, it being 
common to have lots of books available to you. Like people had plenty of books and there were libraries and things, but it didn't necessarily mean you had them in your house. It wasn't necessarily considered moral to read novels. So the entertainment value of your day-to-day life was probably medium low at best. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, let's go catch a sparrow. And see if we get horny. I'll eat it. Great. (laughs) You know, it's... It just becomes the type of stuff people dare each other to do when the power's out. Because <laughs> the power's always out. Yeah. Or they had, you know, they had electrical lights and they had shows they could go to. And then there were like stereoscopes, but. And scandals they could read about. and. But it wasn't the consistent availability of an enormous amount of entertainment that allows you to not feel the urge to go catch sparrows and eat their brains <laughs> good point <laughs> that's just something to think about yeah i'm really i'm digging it okay so a bufo tenon bufo tenon bufo tenon from toads so various poisonous toads have what is called bufotoxin. So they have bufotenin in their um, parotid glands. And these toads are generally thought to have psychoactive properties either on their skin or in their glands. Uh, The Colorado River toad is well known in this country and uh, throughout Central America. There are different uh, toads that have supposed psychoactive properties. And it's an urban legend among stoners that you can catch a toad, lick its skin, and get high. I don't Mm -hmm. suggest catching a toad and licking it. You'll be terrifying the toad and making him late for something, uh, and you might get some disease, and then we'll be back to quarantining. But in various Mesoamerican societies uh, throughout the Southwest U.S. and Central America, they potentially used it uh, as medicine or used it in shamanic ceremonies uh, because of the psychoactive properties. Again, don't try to get high off toads, but... It's an interesting thing. Like, how do we figure this out? Like, did we just, did someone accidentally eat the toad? That seems likely. And they were like, oh, whoa, that's a powerful aphrodisiac. Or like, didn't wash their hands thoroughly. And then after holding a toad or, I mean, it, there's a lot of, I'm sure, accidental. Oh, hey, wait a minute. And that was interesting. What was I just doing? How did I get, how can I make that happen again? Why did I just walk across the desert uh, naked? Uh, oh, yeah, it was the toad. <laughs> mm-hmm. And ambergris. Do you know what ambergris is? I absolutely do know what ambergris is. Yeah, it's whale barf, basically. <laughs> yeah. So ambergris is when uh, sperm whales eat various things, perhaps like squid. It's like all the stuff they can't digest. So... Ambergris is basically an owl pellet of a whale. Yep. It's just barf of stuff that they could not digest. Uh, It will randomly wash up on the beach. It will be floating around and then just wash up. It is pretty, it was mysterious for a long time to people. And it's, it's even rare now. Like you don't generally find it. Uh, interestingly, and this is again, studies on animals suggest it increases testosterone, free testosterone, and it increases their sexual behavior. We have no idea if this works in humans. Humans obviously thought so because it was prized as an aphrodisiac. 
Well, and it was used as a perfume fixative as well. Yeah, definitely. It was used as perfume, I think, because of possibly the aphrodisiac uh, qualities, and it's a good carrier. Yeah, exactly. It, it helps perfume last a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Then there's Spanish fly. I'm sure, have you heard of Spanish fly? I have heard of Spanish fly. Yeah, so Spanish fly isn't from a fly, it's from the blister beetle. Uh, it is basically the uh, toxin that they let off uh, to in- increase in traction to other blister beetles. Uh <laughs> <laughs> People thought for a long time it worked for them. When you ingest it, it causes swelling to, swelling in the urinary tract and genitals. This is why they thought it was a, a good aphrodisiac for sexual desire. Okay. It causes kidney damage. FYI. Yeah. yeah I... <laughs> and also, I'm not entirely sure because I've never tried it. Maybe it's a good time, but... Why would you want a swollen urinary tract? I've had one because of UTI, and I would not say I was sexually desiring anything. <laughs> it sounds horrible. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, so then there is tiger penis and Rocky Mountain oysters, various parts of animal genitalia, uh, etc. And these are just parts of animals tiger penis is explanatory rocky mountain oysters if you don't know what they are they are bull testicles from a gelded bull i'm pretty sure so it'd be a gelded cow Mm -hmm. i think it can also be sheep sometimes but Mm -hmm. that makes sense um so this is one of several animal parts and it's a kind of got an animistic quality to it it is centered around the belief that if you ingest the virility of the animal, then you will also have that virility. Uh, it is a very kind of a primal instinct, primal belief, I think, that mm-hmm. you, if you have the virility of the tiger penis in you, then you'll have the virility of a tiger or a, a bull, etc. That is just what is behind that. Um, it is uh, found in various traditional uh, animistic belief systems and medicine where uh, you have the virility or the the abilities of animals by ingesting them. So then we'll go to drugs. <laughs> so alcohol, is it an aphrodisiac? My feeling is no. Some people say yes. It definitely causes blood to rush to the surface vessels of the skin, so Mm -hmm. it can increase blood flow. It lowers inhibitions. That's not always a good thing. It actually lowers your sexual performance, and there's a ton of consent issues with alcohol. If you've ingested alcohol um, in a large quantity, can you consent to sexual activity? Can the other person? So even though it is kind of in the aphrodisiac realm and it's mentioned often when I was doing research I don't think it is but it is kind of considered uh aphrodisiac yeah then there's coffee and other stimulants so coffee and other stimulants are considered aphrodisiacs only because they have an overall effect on the nervous system. And this ex- excitation of your entire self 
can happen everywhere and make you think you have more energy and enhance your focus. So Mm -hmm. coffee and other stimulants like methamphetamine or cocaine, obviously not in the same category as coffee, but they're also stimulants, can make you feel excited and therefore make you more likely to uh, have a sexual activity. That doesn't necessarily mean it is an aphrodisiac, though it sometimes is is, uh, pushed into the aphrodisiac category. Then there is ecstasy or MDMA. So ecstasy or X or XTC is a psychoactive recreational drug. Um, It was very popular in the 90s um, in raves. It alters your sense of self, so it alters your relation to your ego. And your sense of self is altered and it can cause euphoria and feelings of like deep connectedness with people around you, with the world. And so from that, people report being more sexually active, um, but really it seems to reduce inhibitions and you feel euphoric and everything you do is really uh, a turn on and your skin being touched feels really awesome, etc. So is it an aphrodisiac? I mean, kind of, you could kind of say it is, but really it is more the euphoric state. I know plenty of people who have been on it and said, I didn't want to have sex, but people just touching me was amazing. Um, And right now they are actually using it more in research on depression with microdoses, and it seems to have a lot of really promising outcomes for people with anxiety and depression. So that's a good thing, but... I don't know. What do you think, Emily? Is it an aphrodisiac or just side effect is kind of aphrodisiac-y? It sounds closer than just about anything you've listed so far. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking of skink brains. Like, which which would I rather deal with? Um, <laughs> and uh, it was originally developed for depression, wasn't it? MDMA? Uh, that is my impression of the story of MDMA. But then it became a club kid drug, and there were all these stories of these people being, like, dragged out of clubs with their brains full of holes because MDMA ate it all and, like, blah, blah, blah. And you can listen to Sarah discuss the uh, D-A-R-E, D.A.R.E. program (laughs) in another episode, so I'm not going to go into uh, drugs. But it sounds more like an aphrodisiac than anything else you've listed so far. Uh, But I... I took a class in college called Useful Plants, and it discussed at least the botanically derived uh, aphrodisiacs, and the the professor made the point that, like, there's no such thing, really, Uh (laughs) by and large, Uh, and most of them are just irritants. Like, they discussed how (laughs) Spanish fly is an irritant, and and it happens to... interact with the urogenital tract. (laughs) Oh, my bits are swelling. Yay. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so this sounds closer than anything else you've talked about. Yes. If there there was going to be one, this is it. But you could still say, I think your point about the euphoric feelings being more what's happening. And then that could coincide with increased desire for sexual contact, but it doesn't have to. It's not, it's not the consistent reaction people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody has different reaction actions to it. And 
Um, also, MDMA dust definitely has side effects. It makes you want to drink water. You can actually overdose on water. I know that sounds really weird, but people will drink so much water that they, I think they get, I don't know if it's neutropenia. No, it's not neutropenia. It's something else, but it's a very similar word, but you can actually have issues because you drink too much water. Uh, if you use it too much, you can get uh, physically dependent on it. So it definitely has issues, but it has, you're right. I think it also has the closest, the closest uh, thing to an actual aphrodisiac. So uh, do we still use aphrodisiacs today? Of course we do. The internet is full of it. I tried to look up YouTube videos for aphrodisiacs and I was so sad because there are so many crazy ones. There's so many things I was just like, why would anybody ever do that? There are some really good historical videos. Uh, I think I mentioned the British Museum earlier. They mm -hmm. had a really good one. Um, and that was where I learned about potatoes. <laughs> I was like, potatoes, really? Uh, and so if you want to learn more about aphrodisiacs, it's really hit or miss. Of course, people always want to figure out how to get off. Uh, they they want to try licking toads. They want to see if whale barf actually works. Uh, and eat sparrows for their brains because they got nothing else to do. Plenty of people buy various herbs over the internet, hoping it will help with their sexual issues uh, or just wanting to feel more sexual desire. Sadly, most of them don't end up working and can be attributed mostly at first to the placebo effect. However, there are a couple of things that we know do actually work. The first one is testosterone. Testosterone actually does work. So it is linked to levels of sex hormones, uh, sexual desire is. Uh, when you have reduced sex drives, generally it's because you have low levels of testosterone, um, particularly in postmenopausal women or men who uh, have low T. So when you increase their serum testosterone, uh, uh, sometimes that is with pills, uh, in the case of men, or I've known women, postmenopausal women, who actually put uh, cream, they actually do use testosterone cream on their genitals in order to increase their uh, sexual desire. That actually does work. However, long-term therapy with oral testosterone can increase your cardiovascular risk. So, we actually know testosterone does work. It is our natural aphrodisiac. <laughs> There's and a everybody has it. I think it's important to point out that human beings have testosterone and estrogen. It is not a men have testosterone, women have estrogen, and it's not a even people with specific genitalia have specific hormones. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's why just for people that don't necessarily know that, it's it's why Sarah's pointing out that Women can utilize testosterone for an increased sex drive. Men can use it. People with different genitalia can use it regardless. It can work well for people in terms of increasing sex drive. Yeah, I don't want to leave anyone out. Whatever. No, I don't think you were. I don't yeah, think yeah, you yeah. were. I know, I know you <laughs> didn't, but I wanted everybody to know. I'm trying not to leave people out. I understand and I, I fully believe that you can have a vagina and be a man or non-binary or have a penis and be a woman and non-binary it's we're all human 
and everyone makes testosterone. If you make too little, you can have low sex drive. Testosterone, we know, is an actual aphrodisiac. Then there's Wellbutrin. Oh, Wellbutrin. (laughs) (laughs) I've been on Wellbutrin. It was a very strange experience. It is an atypical antidepressant that is an NDRI. And and it is a norepinephrine, dopamine reuptake inhibitor. And it is often prescribed as an add-on for sexual side effects of SSRIs. Its main action is inhibiting the reuptake of dopamine. And we know this uh, through pop culture as the pleasure chemical in the brain. Um, It actually, dopamine increases our motivation. Uh, It's our reward chemical. So it makes us more likely to do pleasurable things because we have more free dopamine. We want to do more things that cause dopamine to happen. It's reward chemical. And so... It counteracts the effects of SSRIs. Unfortunately, in a lot of people, uh, SSRIs uh, are antidepressants. They can decrease your sexual desire or they can make it incredibly hard to have an orgasm while you're having sex. So, well, Butrin in small doses as an add-on to SSRIs can help that. Now, is that an aphrodisiac? It's closer than ambergris is. (laughs) (laughs) it's closer than a skink brain thank you (laughs) and then we have viagra i had to mention it i had to mention viagra as one of my coworkers said it was the little blue m&ms that she gave her husband (laughs) (laughs) it is a drug prescribed mostly for people with penises sexual dysfunction Um, we're not entirely sure it works on women it has been just uh, prescribed for people with vaginas. Um, we're not entirely sure it works for them. However, it does work for people with penises. It increases their sexual uh, drive. It actually increases blood flow to their penis and helps with sexual dysfunction. However, you have to want to have sex first. It doesn't make you increase your desire. It just increases the workings of the anatomy. So... Is it an aphrodisiac? If you go back to the sexual dysfunction, um, virility, etc., peace, then yes, kind of it is an aphrodisiac, um, but it does not increase desire. So I don't know. That's an iffy toss-up, but it does actually work. We actually do know it works. And those are like the only three and potentially four because maybe it, ecstasy works that are actually aphrodisiacs. And that's where they went. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, a lot of those have gone out of fashion. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I am not about to eat sparrow brains. They are too cute, and there is not enough meat on them. Just saying. (laughs) Well, and I just don't want to consume ambergris. I don't want it. I'm not interested. It's whale barf. To me, it's just like eating an owl pellet no thank you and i don't want i mean I'll, i like potatoes and beans and cabbage but their inclusion is pretty fascinating yeah they just <laughs> make me want to take a nap to mm-hmm. be honest just just go to sleep go to bed. <laughs> the windy the windy meats 
<laughs> I just cannot get Al Bundy out of my head with <laughs> the windy meats. I feel like his that character comes up a lot. I feel like I bring up Al Bundy more than makes sense for someone who did not watch a lot of Married with Children. So you bring it up to me in conversation. I don't think you often bring it up in the podcast. Okay. But you do bring up Al Bundy more than anyone I've ever known. <laughs> and it I never think of Al Bundy and I'm just like, yeah, that show was so messed up. It was re- it's kind of hard to watch. It's really kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Like their lives are really miserable, and that's supposed to be the comedy—is the misery of it. Uh, but I think it's just that each character was so fully formed, and each actor committed so deeply to playing that specific character. There was almost no range in each character. There was almost no development, which is part of why I think it's a little difficult to watch. In that. It is just people like perpetually making the same mistakes over and over again. But the actors did such a good job of reinforcing these characters. Yeah. And they're so miserable. I always feel so bad for Peg because I'm like, girl, just leave him. (laughs) I mean, for real. (laughs) She's so amazing. I'm just like, I feel like she's stuck. And that is... And that is excellent because that is exactly how you want to feel for her. They do a good job really making you feel that. Yeah. And just all of them are trapped in this sort of lower middle class hell is other people type of situation. Mm -hmm. And how like this is not even possible in the 80s when the show was made like he and I know a lot of other people have said stuff about this that he worked at a shoe store like how did he have a three-bedroom house in the like supporting a four-person family on a shoe manager salary I yeah I truly don't know I mean I know that Nordstrom's shoe and I know he didn't work at Nordstrom but if working in Nordstrom's shoe section is like particularly specialized and can result in like moving up in the company and stuff like that so it's like certain department stores working in a department can result in some upward mobility. But mm-hmm. he worked in like, like the, um, what, Payless? It was like a Payless equivalent or like, um, what's another shoe store? That's the impression. The impression is that it's not like a specialty shoe store. Like he is working for a podiatrist and it's a specialty thing. Like this is supposed to be a, a, a shitty shoe store. Like it's not fantastic. He's stuck in life. There's no like upward mobility at all. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. Like he was a football hero and then he got trapped in this married with children life. <laughs> I don't know why I find that show fascinating cuz like I said I find it kind of hard to watch. It's it's kind of depressing. But it's apparently really important to me. <laughs> yeah, I I don't ever watch it either. I really do not like the show. I really like Peg Bundy and I always like anytime I ever see it, I just really I just really wanted the girl just move, just get take your kids and leave. <laughs> Her style was impeccable. I know she's fantastic. She is so fantastic. Like she is 
She reminded me of one of the B-52 singers, to be yes. honest. Yes. She's so fit. Like, her style is fantastic. She is sassy. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it, Peg. <laughs> <laughs> but that's her own That's her own trap, is that what you were supposed to do was get married and have children. And she did that, and so she's done. And that's the... That's her trap. And mm-hmm. Al's trap is working a dead-end job after being, you know, the football star in college and getting married to the cheerleader and having kids. And now he's trapped. And then the kids are trapped with the two trapped parents. Yeah. Yeah. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there was ever an aphrodisiac, like, episode on that Oh, show. I bet there was. I'm going to look for one. I oh, think it's yeah. on Hulu. Yes. I'm look and see. <laughs> I bet there was. Or like she talks about oyster because she was kind of horny. Like she talked about she talked oh, about she, sex a lot. She absolutely did. She was very invested in getting the spice back into her marriage as it yes. were. Yes. I'm sure there is. Anyway, that's your homework class. Go find the aphrodisiac <laughs> <laughs> episode or several about peg bundy and getting the spice back in her life getting her groove back oh peg yeah so thanks for listening we can be reached at where does a podcast.com we have a twitter we have an instagram you can email us we're around thanks bye thank you